Roger W. Thompson is a husband, father, and acclaimed author seeking to write good stories while trying to live an even better one. When not working, he can be found fly fishing, building furniture, and surfing with his sons near the coastal town of Ventura, California. He joins us today in this episode of Let the Music Play podcast as we talk about how to lean into uncertainty and how to seek the things we are all universally after. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and welcome to Let the Music Play. You know, we live in a day and age where, you know, everything is so, we're so berated with information and all the stuff, and I, and I think that, um, you know, I look out there and, and nothing holds true, all these promises of the media and social media and all these things, not, none of it feels true to me. Um, and the, the outdoors when I'm looking at a mountain, that feels true, or I'm standing at the river, that feels true. Yes. Hey everybody, Ashton Gustafson here, and welcome to another episode of Let the Music Play podcast. This is where we chat about what it looks like and what it feels like and what it means to make music with our lives, our relationships, and our careers. I'm super stoked to introduce you guys uh, to a new friend of mine. His name is Roger W. Thompson. He's written a book called We Stood Upon stars. Uh, and I don't want to take anything away from uh, this book. We'll get into it here in a little bit. But I think this guy's one of us. Uh, he's a dreamer. He's a seeker. Um, he's after uh, great meaning. He's after great joy. Uh, and I'm super excited to introduce him to you today. So with that being said, Roger, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Ashton, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, man, uh, it's an honor to share some time with you. Um, so grateful for your time and generosity. For people that maybe haven't crossed paths with you yet uh, via online platforms, uh, any of your books that have come out, how do you introduce yourself uh, and the work that you put into the world? Well, this is always a little bit of a complicated question for me. Um, but what I would generally say is I, I tell them how I got started. So I, I really, I got started off in the surf and the skateboarding world. Um, I had a surf company in college, um, that led to building at the time, shortly after college, the largest indoor skate park in the world. And wow. so I used to make, um, yeah, so we were kind of involved in all that. We were making surf movies and skate movies. Um, we partnered with a company called Pal Peralta to distribute some skate movies. And, and so I was kind of in that world. And based on the success of that, things started happening. I got calls kind of one after the other to help people execute new startups. And so over time, I think what I've discovered is I'm basically an idea guy who specializes in execution. So hmm. people bring me big ideas or they're, they come to me to ask for big ideas, and we find ways to bring those things to life. And so that's probably the best way to describe it. Um, currently, um, that's led to... Uh, writing, and also uh, I believe we're going to talk a little bit about a little bit of this work I have in Haiti as well. Yeah. Um, but, but I'd say that's probably my summary is I'm kind of an idea and execution guy. So you you kind of have these these hats between entrepreneur, uh, business leader, and author, um, and you do have this project that you're working on in Haiti. Um, you want to kind of give us an introduction to uh, the idea that birthed this concept of, I think it's a resort that you're actually looking to start down there. Yeah, that's right. The, the, I have some good friends who started an orphanage in Haiti and they have been working at it for over 10 years. And what we found through the course of our work there was that the, the 
the orphan crisis has stemmed largely from poverty issues. Hmm. Um, most of these kids actually still have parents. I think this is true globally. Um, and so the kids have some parents, but the parents don't have the means to feed them. And so they put them in these orphanages. And, and Americans, we we support a ton of these orphanages. And so it's created this almost demand for orphans. Hmm. And what we looked at is what could we um, do to get some more of the systemic issue, which again is the poverty so that led to a, a number of job-creating ideas, and the biggest of which we're currently executing is essentially a resort where we'll be able to employ um, mothers and fathers at risk of losing their children. Um, we'll provide services for the you know, daycare services and so forth, but also we'll be able to bring Americans down, kind of like um, what ecotourism did, and uh, yeah. you know, and that's been popular. We're doing something similar where people will be able to come down and participate in the the cultural activities of the country and being a part of the renewal of the country. Wow. So let me just connect some dots here. Um, mm-hmm. You guys discover that the thing underneath the thing, um, the the of this orphan crisis, is actually a, a poverty conversation, and the poverty conversation right. is actually a conversation of there isn't business, there isn't commerce, there isn't a place for these. Um, individuals to go and earn a day's wage, earn a living. Um, yeah. So you guys are bringing this into their world and saying, here is some work. And in doing so, um, families will now be fed and lives and trajectory of lives is going to be changed out of birthing this opportunity for them. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, wow. You know, the we, we started off just thinking we need to build more beds and what you realize is every bed you build fills immediately and what we started thinking is well the beds ought to be in their parents homes not our homes you know not in the Mm -hmm. orphanage Mm -hmm. and so we looked at this as a bit of an orphan prevention solution which is get out in front of the problem go to a place like you said that doesn't have they don't have an economy to support families and you know that's something that we as as Americans tend to do pretty well is that we have a very entrepreneurial kind of mindset, mm-hmm. and you know I, I think teaching some of those things and bringing that to an impoverished area and helping them and there's such a huge difference as I'm sure you've seen when you give someone the difference between giving someone a handout and giving them a job yeah. um, you yeah. know it's such a big difference and these mothers who are able now to to work and support their own families and yeah. um, and men who are able to be the patriarchs are called to be. Um, that's a much bigger gift um, to a country than just giving them a handout. Well, let's go. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, what what can someone, when this project uh, is ready to go, um, what can someone from the States expect to experience when they head to a resort like this? Well, we're um, – and, and we probably have to use the term resort somewhat loosely because okay. Haiti is still obviously a de- very much a developing nation. Gotcha. So it's not like the Dominican Republic on the same island where you could go and, and participate in an open plethora of resort yeah. activities. Yeah, gotcha. But for us, what we would do is we do an all-inclusive where we would pick you up at the airport. You can come down on your own or through a church with your family. Um, and we would pick you up, and as you come, we have a, a week-long program where it incorporates both, um, resort, you know, kind of tourism activities, you know, trying to take you into the markets, take you to some exotic beaches, let you snorkel and play and do that, but then also give opportunities to serve 
So that might be helping um, some of our neighbors with some of their needs. Um, and so you kind of get this cross-section of both, um, and you get a deep immersion into the culture. Um, so um, it kind of is a combination of all of that that you can do. Wow. And we're currently we're currently testing it now. We've got people coming all summer. Um, the, the place is called Icondo, and it'll open um, and just under a year from now will be the grand opening. But we're doing a soft opening this summer to to get kind of you know rolling with some of these ideas. Wow, man! So uh, yeah, just right out of the shoot. Yeah, start surfboard company, skateboard company, <laughs> resorts in Costa Rica, just the normal stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, it's man, I love it. And then you've got this other hat though of riding. Um, mm-hmm. when, when did you feel the call to pick up the pen, start typing? Um, when, when did this all begin? You know, this is, um, hopefully this will be, um, the longer version of your podcast. Cause I got a longer story to tell on this Let's one. Let's go. No, you're um, good. <laughs> the, you know, I, I've had a number of these projects and you, you can kind of tell that have been going, well, I'd say probably in my twenties, as early as my um, I'm, I'm in my mid forties now, but as early as my mid twenties, I had started doing these annualized goals and every year I'd written down for some reason I wanted to write and I never did anything with it. And then in my late thirties, I've kind of hit a point in my professional career where I, I seemed to have lost my mojo and my lost, I was losing businesses and I was in a bit of a crisis, both economically and, um, and kind of a crisis of belief in who I was in a wise mentor of, at the time, um, asked me to revisit some of these goals. And he looked at this writing thing that I'd never done. And he just suggested I started writing. Um, and so I did. And what I found is there was a certain part of me that kind of came alive mm. that, uh, that I'd kind of lost somewhere. It was that, that I, you know, probably that idealistic version of ourselves that we have. And as we're getting out of college in our young twenties, um, that thing that says we can be anything we want to be. Well, I've kind of lost, I think some of that. And when I started writing, all of a sudden I kind of was reintroduced to myself in kind of a special way. And so that started with my first book, which um, was a a book about a a friend um, that I had lost. And we were, anyways, I'll get more than that in a second. But um, but anyways, I started on this path of writing and it just led to a first published work and now a second. Um, But really kind of came out of um, probably a sense of hopelessness and crisis Mm -hmm. in my life. Um, and, and it was redeemed in this really beautiful way to, to turn all of that around. And I think one reason that I didn't write, if I'm honest here, is I think I just didn't have the courage at that time in my life to, to pursue it. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and for whatever reason, I think I needed to, to, to kind of confront some things to get some of that courage back. But it's been a huge blessing in my life to be able to participate in writing now. Would, would you say part of that, uh, I guess that vacancy of courage is, is, is the idea of being seen? Like if I, if I type this, if I write this, um, to expose the internal is a very vulnerable position. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it was that, and, and there was a practical part of it, too, that like every writer I knew was just flat broke. <laughs> and so there's there there's a part of me too as a as a father and and yeah. someone who had had visibly to the public I've had all these successes mm-hmm. um to kind of say well what if I take this risk and what if it doesn't work and mm-hmm. you know um what if 
you know, we can't make it work financially. And I'd, I'd probably put all my um, definition of success in probably the wrong jars. And, and so, you know, I, I didn't, I couldn't see how the writing could lead to the type of success that I had kind of enjoyed and how I wanted the world to see, I guess. And so some of it was facing up to that. Right. So did you just start little bits of essays here and there? Was it a, was it a, uh, was it a blog platform or was it just straight into, uh, that first book that you wrote? It was just straight into that first book. Wow. Um, and, uh, the, yeah, it was kind of a little bit more of that story was because I'd lost a business at the time. And all of a sudden I found myself with a bunch of time. My wife was the one that said, well, you know, now we're already broke, so you might as well start writing. So I, you know, so that's how I kind of got going. Wow. Um, and I just launched right into um, my first book, and just did, just the thing after that thing started happening pretty quick. Well, wow. well, wow. which leads us to uh, we stood upon stars, um, <laughs> which is it was released in early May, um, and what a what a brilliant idea. So to just give people kind of a uh, a bird's eye view of this thing. Um, this is basically your personal stories of exploring the great outdoors in the western part of America. Um, and the, they're like essays. You've got, did you draw these maps, by the way? Yeah, actually, my, my mom and I did them to get together. She uh, did all the artwork and I did the cartography. Oh my gosh, unbelievable. So every chapter begins with like these maps of uh, uh, parks and national forest and all these different things. And you've got tips, you've got like, Hey, go here for a beer, go get your coffee here, get a slice of pizza there. And then you go into these, these essays where you share these stories, uh, of going out into the great unknown. But in that unknown, you find great and deep and wide wisdom. Um, Am I am I on track? I'm trying to figure out the best way to, to describe this book. No, I think you've done a better job describing than I usually do. <laughs> um, so so how did this? Uh, it it seems to me like you and I share a heart in this. You are you are a true outdoorsman. Um, there's there's something about the outdoors that that really rings the doorbell on your chest. Um, how did the idea for this book come to you? Well, you know, it kind of came. And I'll backtrack just a second because my yeah. it came a little bit after the the first book. The first book was my best friend's funeral, and that was the one where I, I, I'd kind of come into it not ever written before, and it turned out to be basically my life story. It's about this extraordinary friendship I had with my buddy Tim, who I started all those businesses with. Hmm. Um, it, it had to do with our search for our fathers. Um, you know, mine passed away young, and he had his dealt with alcoholism most of his life, and. So it was about friendship and fathers and all this stuff. Well, I finished that book, and I really kind of didn't think there was another book. I wasn't sure if there was another book in me, to be honest with you. It was, um, you know, it's like I've just told my story. And then as I kind of started getting that bubble again, it's like, oh, my, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there was something within me now that's this kind of writer identity that started taking over. said, no, you have to keep writing. And I started thinking about what is it that, you know, what is it that's universally true of all of us that's probably most true to me i guess um and it's that i'm constantly as you mentioned earlier i'm constantly on this search so i want to start writing about what this search was and so for me it was this outdoor pursuit mm-hmm. all my searches tend to lead to wild places because 
I kind of have in, in my first chapter of the book, there's this setup where I talk about how um, in this day and age, you know, we live in all these cities and we look up and because of the light pollution, you can't see the stars in most of our cities. And so I have this idea where our questions only go as far as, you know, we can see. Hmm. And so they're going up to basically this false ceiling um, of light. And then when you get out in the wild places, obviously, you know, now you're looking at the stars and you ask much bigger questions of yourself and the world because your questions now travel to the stars. Hmm. And so I wanted to write a book on where, you know, my searching through those questions that reach the stars. Um, and that's kind of what led to these stories. Hmm. Uh, absolutely love it. And so being that the outdoors have hold, held such a beautiful place for you, do you have some early memories of like when you knew that the place where the light pollution was not, where the air is just a little bit cleaner, where the horizon stretches as far as you can see? Um, do you have any memories of like knowing that this was really sacred and holy space for you? I do. And it starts probably first with mem- some of the early memories I have of my father. Um, he passed when I was um, 13 and he had a very troubled kind of existence. And, um, and I won't go too much into that at this moment, but, but what I found is when he took me fishing, what I saw in him in those outdoor spaces um, was a, a version of himself that was his best version wow. um, where he kind of wow. broke free of the bonds that kind of troubled him hmm. back in kind of life. And, and when I saw that, when I saw the impact of that on my own father and as a kid, I think I started feeling those same reassurances. Hmm. Um, and I started feeling like this is the place, these are the places I can go um, where I can feel assured that there's, something out there for me, that there's someone out there looking over me, um, you know, that, that somebody who created all this, yeah. you know, has some type of relationship for me. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I, I felt that at a very early, early age. And then, um, and then, you know, at, at various points of life, you know, we get busy and get taken away from some of that. I found that the more I was removed from that, the probably the less whole I was. Hmm. And so you know, I've come to a point in my life where we just know that we have to spend a certain amount of time kind of in these wilder places um, to make me whole as a person yeah. and, uh, and as a family. It does something special for us as well. Yeah. I, and that just connected some dots for me that as a guy that's been, you know, out, outdoors hunting and fishing with my dad all my life, um, there is an element, and you talk about seeing your dad and his best self. There's an element of uh, the performance factor, the ego. I, I don't know what it is about the vast expansiveness of the horizon, about being in places where there isn't concrete in buildings. Um, you just are, right? You, you, mm-hmm. you just get to be in those spaces. Um, That's right. And so you found um, that being out and cultivating time in these spaces isn't something that like, Maybe we should do ever so often, but like, this is a, this is, this is routine. This is consistency. This is, uh, something that the Thompson family says, we're going to adhere to carving out space to be out in these places because we know for the health of all of us, we must get out and be in the midst of the great unknown. That's yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think 
for for me personally, and you know, and maybe even for my entire family, although they might have, I think they'd probably say something similar as well. Is you know, we live in a day and age where you know everything is so we're so berated with information and all the stuff, and I and I think that um, you know, I look out there and, and nothing holds true. All these promises of the media and social media and all these things, not, none of it feels true to me. Um, and the, the outdoors when I'm looking at a mountain that feels true, or I'm standing at the river that feels true. Yes. Um, yes. And, I, and I think it's, there's something, you know, the, 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 our platforms that we've created for ourselves, let's say for example, like, you know, whether it's a social media platform that's connecting us back to someone else's kind of version of truth. Mm. And when you're out in nature, the river connects us to the very beginning of this earth and the original truth. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's, it just kind of breaks free of all that. And I think that that's important, certainly for me, for my family. And honestly, I think it's important for everybody that give themselves a chance to, to do that. Yeah. Man, that's good. I, I, didn't you write somewhere in the book that you, you call that first step into the river, like a threshold? That's uh, right. Yeah. I, because I, I, I sent a picture of it to a buddy of mine and like that moment, and if, if you've never, if you're like listening to this, you're like, what are these two guys talking about? That <laughs> moment of your, that first ankle going into the river, something molecular happens inside. I don't know what it is. I don't know the science behind it, but you step into something. Um, you step into the flow. You step into um, the purest sense of reality. And I love how you called it true, like that it's just truth. Um, man, like a month or so ago, had one of those just beat down days. And I text my wife, I was like, we need to go out in the country. I just need to be near what is true. Um, yeah. And like, I'm glad that you mirrored that for me because I kind of felt like I was off in, in texting <laughs> that. But now I'm like, no, yes, the vacant horizon is true. Um, right. It's there. Um Love it. And so um, the book, how many different places? I think, is it like 32 uh, stories or, or places that you introduce us to? Yeah, there's 30, 31 chapters um, that, are, that made the book. Um, there's a second, or there's a 32nd that's actually a bonus chapter on my website. Gotcha. Um, and there were probably another dozen that just ran out of time yeah. <laughs> to, to put them in there. But yeah, in the book, there's 31 places that... Um, they're special that I've been able to, you know, was able to capture. When one of them, my, one of my favorites was the story of when you guys uh, were in New Mexico in Santa Fe. Um, and you, I guess y'all were headed to Nashville, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So you're in, and it was a move, correct? Was it moving from California mm-hmm. to Nashville? It was moving from California to Nashville. Okay. And so here you are really uh, driving West to East. You stop in Santa Fe and you write these words. And I love this because I hear this over and over and over. I hear it with myself. I hear it with other people uh, that listen to the podcast. So this, this sounded very near and dear to all of our hearts. You wrote, in every man's life, there's a moment of uncertainty. It usually comes at a crossroad of change. A man must act, take a step. If not, he builds a house at the crossroads. Um, dude. So like, let's, let's chat through this. Um, what, what do you know about uncertainty? What, what, what has uncertainty taught you? Well, I mean, where this line comes out of and what that move 
that part of my life has come out of is we we were invited to come and build. I was invited to come into Nashville and build this thing called Rocket Town, which was a large um, entertainment and uh, youth outreach program in downtown Nashville. Okay. And we didn't know what we were stepping into, right? And so when we were out in California, you know, Nashville's not on my map. It's not near an ocean. It's not near, you know, a mountain. It's just not on any of my maps. But yet there's this sense of there's something deep within me that knew we needed to do that, even though we were completely, I was completely uncertain. Hmm. And it really took going out there and spending, it took about a year or so before it set into me is that pressing into the, we're all uncertain about all sorts of things, but sometimes you get that, especially as men, you get that little nagging in you mm-hmm. that you just know that this is the right move. And in the uncertainty, you take that step and you take another step and you take another step. And what that did for me is out of uncertainty, it built trust, you know, trust that, um, that God had something for my life, trust in myself that I was man enough to, to tackle a new challenge or whatever. And then it also helps to start overcoming those fears that keep mm-hmm. us from taking those steps in the first place. You know, a house at the crossroads is built on fear, a foundation of fear, right? Because you're fearful of taking a step. And so you just sit there and watch the world go by. And that's not how we were designed as men to live. Um, and so to me, that would be the greatest, that, that would be probably my greatest fear is to just sit at the crossroad and watch everything go by and not take those steps. So, you know, uncertainty is still part of my life. It's part of all our lives. But when you do this a few times, you start to build that trust and that courage to take those steps. Um, but, you know, it starts from a moment of pure uncertainty. Okay. You just took my breath away a little bit. <laughs> Let's repeat this again. <laughs> you just said... A house built at the crossroads is one that's built on fear. That's right. Well, I kind of feel like I should put that in the book, huh? I, like, dude, that I mean, <laughs> like, I don't even, I'm, I, I don't even want to remark on it. I just want to leave it at like that is a massive, massive, massive statement. A house built at the crossroads is one built on fear, and so therefore, if we want to build our house upon love, upon truth, upon wisdom. We must lean into uncertainty, and when we lean into uncertainty, we find trust, and we find trust in the divine, and we find trust in ourselves, and there, there's what we're all after. That's right. Wow. Wow. Dude, I mean, I feel like we should just hit end right there. I mean, that was like <laughs> massive. That was pretty good. So the a house built at the crossroads is a house built on fear. Unbelievable. Thank you. That's a gift. That's a meal. Um Wow. And so moving through the book, um, you really get into just the idea of the search. And, um, and I love that, like, like speaking searcher to searcher, like it kind of changes every day. But we know, I think, I think we all kind of go, well, it's like this search for joy. It's search for meaning, but it's a search for metaphor. It's search for presence. It's, it's, you just, you just want to, you just want to know that this thing counts, right? You just want to know mm-hmm. that I was here for it, that I was in it, that I enjoyed it. Um, and so you write this, and I wanted to read this. Uh, some searches are only about the search. They reveal something about who we are or who we're meant to be. 
The longing for beauty tells us we were made for beauty. The longing to share a campfire with someone we love or are beginning to love tells us we are made for love. The longing itself tells us there is something or someone that draws out our hearts. Um, so when you, in all of your journeys for the last umpteen couple decades or however long you've been going out into the wild, um, and all these pursuits and travels and excursions, um, are, are you able to say personally, this is what I'm after? Or is it something that's constantly evolving and changing? You know, I think it's something that it's a little bit of both. The, the, I've been able to now start to identify what it is I'm after, and it's this thing of truth and beauty. Um, however, the part that's constantly evolving and changing is the desire to go deeper and deeper into it. Mm. Um, you know, once you start getting a glimpse of beauty, um, you know, whether it's the outdoors or our wives or an understanding of who God is, there's this sense of this beauty out there, and, and, you, and you understand that as truth. So all of a sudden, the search becomes not to find it because you've identified it, but to go deeper and deeper into it. Yes. Um, yes. And so, so I don't. I don't think I would have stayed that in probably my first decade of travel. Yeah. I think then, as a young man, we're searching for those things in our lives, right? Yeah. Um, and eventually, hopefully, we discover them. And once they're discovered, we spend the rest of our lives hopefully diving deeper and deeper into them. Right. And so. For me now, the searches are just to, to, to understand beauty more deeply, truth more deeply, and I still discover them when I'm in these outdoor places. Um, just because of what we stated earlier, there's not this there's not this cluttered sense around it. There's not this um, performance around it. There's no one else, whether it's on their Instagram or on the news or whatever, telling me what they think I should believe about myself and these things. It's just me hearing directly from the source um, truth and beauty of this world. So beauty, the pursuit of beauty can be an absolute pursuit of truth. And, and even though you may find it out in the forest or in the wild, you then bring that back to you into your everyday mundane life. And then, mm-hmm. the, then, then just beauty starts screaming at you at every, right. at every turn. Um, mm-hmm. But there's, there's something about carving out space so you can go out and absorb it. And it, it, it's almost like it gives you new eyes, does it not? Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because it yeah, allows you to come back when you come back and we're like, I'm a business guy. You know, I'm having to make a living like everybody else. Um, but now when I start thinking about what I'm pursuing, what kind of deals I want to do, and what kind of you know, businesses or organizations I want to pursue – there's a new, there's a new um, set of dis- decision tools, I guess, yeah, yeah. of what I do, you know. Yeah. And so it's not, I'm not making decisions because I want to land a big bonus or because I want this big new deal because that all is not truth, you know. You're looking at what's, where's the beauty, what beauty will this unearth in the world by doing this deal, wow. you know, what truth will it bring me into, and 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 most of us still. I think struggle with that and we don't have the eyes to see those things. And so at the end of our business careers, oftentimes we feel still lonely and um, like we haven't accomplished something um, because we spent a career 
pursuing the wrong things. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Beauty is truth. And I'm just for, for myself and I'm thinking I'm after beauty now in the way I make my children's lunch before they go to school. Right. <laughs> like, That's I mean, right. like it, right. it, it goes, it, it literally goes from the total cosmos of sitting under an empty sky, looking at the Milky Way to right below your nose at 7.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. before you take your daughter to kindergarten. That's um, right. And and I feel like that's when you're in it, right? Like when you can bring mm-hmm. back that experience and you can make the mundane so magical um, that mm-hmm. from personal experience, my days have become so much more electric in the last few years by mm-hmm. just having those eyes. Um so would you encourage our listeners, hey, if beauty's speaking to you, just know that's truth whispering right at you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned in the book that um, you know, our lives are lived and, and yeah, in, in spite of all these great places I've write about and I talk about, um, I make a statement that our lives are really lived on Tuesdays and Thursdays making peanut butter jelly sandwiches for our kids as they mm-hmm. go to school, right? That's right. That's our life. Yeah. But but like as you just said, if you can see that as the real beauty in our life, the opportunity to make our kids a lunch yeah. um, or to cut off work earlier to not take that last meeting because we can go play catch with our kids or do something. Yeah. You know, those, that's the beauty in life. Yeah. That's the joy that we're seeking. Um, and it's only in doing those things that we'll really kind of, I think, find that, that, w- that we're searching for. Yeah. And I feel like, most of my regret in life is connected to me feeling like I missed out on some type of beauty in some place. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it was anything that was uh, like that I wasn't like that I didn't do this or I wish I would have done that. It's just more of like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know that that moment was oozing with beauty in the way it was. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of this, I think this is one of those conversations around regret minimization, as Jeff Bezos says, um, you know, pursue beauty in doing so you will be pursuing truth. Uh, and in doing so you're pursuing wisdom In doing so you're pursuing you at your, at your deepest level. Um, wow. So let me flip the stage a little bit. Um, can you say then there's something that we are all universally searching for? So you've kind of said what it is personally. Um, but after a hundred campfires, after a hundred drives across the country, um, in chatting with buddies, um, is there anything that you can say? We're all after this in a way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, certainly from you know, I've I've taken tons and tons of guys out into these places, right, and and had those conversations around campfires, and I'd say universally with their all kind of looking for the and we might describe it in different ways, but we're trying to find our sense of purpose in this world. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're trying to find kind of how we fit and where we fit and what kind of difference we are to make or not make. Um, I think that's something we're all kind of looking for. Um, and we're searching for it in various ways. You know, we're searching for it, you know, whether it's, um, through work or yeah. through recreation or yeah. whatever, we're, we're, there, there's different methods of the search. But I think ultimately that's kind of 
one of those questions you settle. And the, and the sooner you can kind of get to a point where you understand that and you can settle that question for yourself, the sooner I think you can step more deeply into the beauty of this, this world has to offer us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so as a dad, as a father, um, when you, knowing that you've got a lot of lessons to teach, uh, and knowing that so much beauty has been unpacked for you, uh, with stillness and silence in the great, in the, in the great, uh, outdoors, um, I want to kind of turn it a little into a dialogue about intentionality with our kids. Um, Mm -hmm. what's that look like for you guys? Um, and is it, is it as simple as going and getting a tent and saying, Hey, we're just going to go do this deal. Or do you, uh, are, are you less structure and more flow out there with like, yeah, I, I just know that when we're out there, something will be cultivated and I don't really have a plan. Um, I just kind of let it be. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, th- I think that some of it's, but well, you know, as in most things, it's probably a little bit of both. But yeah. you know, I'm I'm lucky where I live. I live near a beach, and so surfing is a big part of our family's lives. Yeah. You know, I have two boys; are one's 13 and one's 11. And my 13 year old's now kind of entering those issues that you know young teenagers get into. Right? Some of the best things I can do for him aren't to answer all those questions for him, right. but just that I I take him surfing, and it's you know, and and allow him those moments, and he has, he's actually able to work out a lot of those questions on his own. Um, obviously, I'm not trying to be a question dodger. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so, no doubt. You know, no doubt. As, a, as a dad, you try to you know do as many things as you can. But what I found partly is because I think not having a dad forced me to learn how to answer those questions myself. And a lot of my success, I think, came from as a young, as really as a child, as the age of my kid. Um, be able to go and hear truth, and you know, about my life, about yeah. who I was, and so yeah. forth. Yeah. Um, and so, for my kids, the intentionality is to sure deal with the questions that you know that they all often have, but the deeper questions about who they are and um, their place in the world, and some of that. I like to take them out to take them surfing, take them out to a fly fishing in Montana or wherever you know we can go, um, and, and let them start sensing their place in the world and you know because if you can feel comfortable in the ocean or you can feel comfortable in the wilds of montana you can feel comfortable in that classroom yeah um you know because you know who you are at at your core and so when everyone else around you starts behaving the way that teenagers in southern california behave you know hopefully you've got some my sons will have some nugget of truth lodged into their soul about who they are that will help them to navigate those and stand strong against some of that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I tip my hat to my dad, uh, for taking me out almost, it felt like every weekend for a good season, probably from about 12, 10, maybe 10, 11 to about 16 or 17. Um, that was the, those were such formative years for me. And Mm -hmm. you're right. When, when you can, be out there uh, and allow the universe to speak its truth to you, um, to start hearing the divine uh, in the solitude. You do know who you are. Um, yeah. And, and in, a, in that season of life, when everyone is telling you who you should be and what you should do, um, 
I, I was, I was kept out of a lot of things, um, by being, I, I think in those scenarios. Um, so keep doing that, man. Get them in those fly fishing waters as much as you can. Yeah. <laughs> right. I love well, it. Well, it's, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's curious that, you know, if you think about the Native Americans and, um, and most cultures before our modern culture, all the rites of passages were around wilderness experiences. That's right. That's right. You know, and that was, that was done for a reason yeah. because as a young, especially for boys, um, which is what I'm raising, so I can kind of only speak to that, but for boys, if they can't survive in that wilderness experience or, or flip it and once they can then they can survive in, in anything else and yeah. we live in a day and age where we're removing boys from that and we're removing men from that and in some ways saying that you know they're trying to find a new type of masculinity in our culture that removes men from those things and so i think it's urgently important to poor boys to experience themselves in those wilderness environments yeah. cause that's really the best place for them to discover who they are yeah and until until a young man has experienced powerlessness we probably shouldn't trust him with power absolutely <laughs> absolutely um, yeah love it love it yeah. um beautiful so this the, guys i can't say enough good things about we stood upon the stars if you're an outdoorsman if if uh if you're planning trips out west uh chances are um, Roger has probably gone somewhere you're going, uh, and we'll, and we'll kind of give you, um, some tips, uh, to get off the beaten path. I kind I think that's your style more than anything is you're like, I don't want a map. I want to make my own map. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, that was the beauty I got from the book. Um, so make sure you guys get a copy of this before we go. I always ask, uh, guys that come on a few questions. The first one being this. Uh, what's currently keeping you curious? Well, man, there's so there's so much um, that I do to to do that. One is, um, as you probably won't be surprised, is I'm 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 deeply looking into the art of catching a trout because I think you know, I, <laughs> I, I'm constantly curious about um, about uh, the natural environment and you know how to catch a trout. Yeah. But I think in addition to that, I'm also like many of us, an avid reader. In my but my reading program has changed. Whereas um, I feel like kind of our current generation of books tend to be more um, answer about answers, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually going back to the classics, which tend to be a little bit more about the questions. Yes, and I kind of I kind of like that. And so I've been rereading um, for me Hemingway, Steinbeck, um, some of those types of books where they really are proposing some bigger ideas yep. and questions without trying to wrap them up in a bow for you. So that's kind of my reading life has been that. And then my active life is, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how to surf and fish better. What's your typical uh, fly fishing rig look like these days? You know, I, um, I fish mostly in the Eastern Sierras of California and I've got a four weight rod that works perfectly in that. And um, I was just up, in the mammoth area that's actually where the cover of the my book was shot was up near mammoth um fishing with a dry fly and a nymph and doing pretty well on it right on you tie your own flies i have in the past yeah. um currently I, it's hard for me to find the time to do that but yeah. um yeah but i i have a number of flies i still use from my tide when i was younger beautiful now and and i meant to ask you this tell me about the cover tell me about this automobile on the cover of the book is this yours oh yeah it is mine yeah it's actually uh it's a 
it's an 86 synchro which is a four-wheel drive vw van um and they're a little bit rare this uh, thing is gnarly looking yeah it's amazing and so <laughs> my wife my wife and i bought it on our 10-year anniversary up in it was in bozeman montana so we bought it got a one-way ticket and drove up there and, and for our anniversary drove it all the way back wow um but yeah it's a camper it's a full camper setup inside this vw van and it's got uh, the, the pop and the cover you can see there's a kind of the top goes at an angle and there's a queen bed up there and there's a queen bed below so for a family of four we can all fit in it amazing and because it's for, for, because it's four-wheel drive we can get pretty much anywhere wow and so it's like having a hotel room anywhere in the world that you want unbelievable love it absolutely <laughs> yeah. love it yeah <laughs> um next question what what advice would you give to your younger self you know, I, I would, I would tell myself that uh, there's a number of things as a as a younger self. I wish I would have had more courage um, to to take take the risks that I didn't take. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about the uncertainty. I would have said to lean into that and not and not be afraid of it, yeah. and and not wait till you're certain to act because you know you'll never you'll never be certain. And just to repeat, because like this this needs to be a mantra. The house built at the crossroads is the house built on fear. Mm-hmm. Well, you need you need to take that and run with it. Some that's a book. I don't know, but <laughs> there, there's something there, um, man. Well, I tell you what, um, super grateful for you. Uh, I sure hope that somehow, some way, you know, I can cross paths one day, um, and I really hope it's in the middle of a river somewhere uh, <laughs> where our cell phones don't work, and uh, we can keep this dialogue going about truth and beauty and whimsy and everything that we're really after. Um, Oh man, I'd love that too. Well, we need to make that happen for our listeners uh, that want to follow you and your work. Where do you want us to send them website, Instagram, Facebook, where's the best place to find out uh, about you? Uh, Certainly my, my website. And actually I'm, I've just put up, uh, there's a camping guide on my website and I'm in the process of putting up for father's day, how, you know, an adventure guide for father and child. Um, and so there'll be some good information there. Plus, there's this great chapter that didn't make the book about me fighting a squirrel. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, so that's a, but that's RogerWThompson.com. Um, and that also leads to Instagram if you want to follow me there too. But the website would probably be the first, uh, first bet. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, um, hey, man, super grateful that you press into uncertainty. Uh, love the work that you're putting into the world. Uh, stay curious, keep going, uh, keep going into the wilderness in that little four bedroom, two bedroom, four wheel, uh, (laughs) (laughs) vehicle you have. And, um, yeah, man, hope we can meet soon. Me too, man. I appreciate so much this time you've given me. This has been a pleasure. Absolutely. Guys, rogerwthompson.com. Make sure you go there, uh, follow what he's doing. I think you'll find a lot of beauty and insight. Roger, we'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. All right, man. Make sure you guys go to rogerwthompson.com. Find his work, follow him on Instagram, and uh, I know that you'll find his writings and his outlook on life to be something that's a great light in your life. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love. <laughs>